Hello, everybody. Welcome to Space Junk. And in today's episode, Dustin and I will be talking with Diana Al-Cindy. Originally from Baghdad, Diana is an Iraqi immigrant who has been passionate about engineering since she was 10 years old. She got her degree in chemical engineering from the University of California at San Diego, and she was also a Brooke Owens Fellow, where, as a Brooke Owens Fellow, she worked as an intern at a company you may have heard of called Virgin Orbit. Well, now, today... Diana is a propulsion development engineer working on all kinds of really fun things, and she's going to tell us all about that in our episode today. And she's also going to discuss with us one, her dream of starting science camps in the Middle East. And as if all of that wasn't enough, she also runs a bilingual Instagram account called The Arabian Stargazer, where she does science communication and outreach in both English and Arabic languages. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. Okay, everybody. Well, welcome, Diana. It's really good to have you on our humble podcast. And this will be a first for me because I just found out about you a few days ago from Dustin and, and Ian at OPT. And uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe just give us a little introduction to who you are, what you're doing, and uh, what your interests are. Of course. First of all, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Uh, I am so happy that I get to do my first podcast on Space Junk. It is quite exciting. I bought my specific uh, microphone just for this event. <laughs> I know. Um, you, bought, you bought a microphone for it. That's, yes. that's impressive. Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah, you sound great. You sound great. And you do. Awesome. You really do. <laughs> awesome. This, this just calls for more podcast episodes. I, that's I right. I, I think you've touched on something there. Yeah. I like the way you think. <laughs> so, I, my name is Diana Elcindy. I am a 25-year-old uh, propulsion development engineer at Virgin Orbit. Uh, I'm an Iraqi immigrant. I came to the United States about 10 to 11 years ago, and I got into the aerospace industry um, right when I got here. I wasn't really interested in, in space or knew what space is about when I was in the Middle East. Um, I founded the page, The Arabian Stargazer, last October, so October of 2018, and it has blew up ever since, which I'm very thankful for. Um, we have about 100,000 followers of space enthusiasts and, and people from around the world who want to learn about space and space exploration uh, through a bilingual account. And um, I'm really excited to share with you all the stories that I have and the interesting things that happens from a science communicator who happens to speak Arabic and uh, also talks about a very sensitive subject like space. Why is it sensitive? Because there's a, there's a, a very thin line between military and defense and space exploration. Uh, there's a lot of things that I'm not capable of talking about uh, based on the nature of my job. Um, the the protected designs that I work on is uh, it's really exciting for me. I wish I could share it with the world, um, but that's just the the nature of working in aerospace industry. 
So how's that feel at 25 years old to be able to say, yeah, I'm a rocket scientist? <laughs> it sounds a lot more prestigious than it is. Uh, that's <laughs> for sure. Because the, the rocket scientists that actually are rocket scientists are the ones who developed how to design uh, injectors and combustion chambers, the ones who derived the equations that we use right now. I, I consider my job is a little bit easier compared to those engineers and scientists who had to come up with these theoretical solutions that we just use the, the results out of those equations right, right now. Um, but comparing to the regular person who doesn't work in math and science, it's it's cool. And I do feel cool. I, f I feel awesome and blessed to go to work and just see three rockets hanging out in, in the shop floor um, and be in a tank if I want to. It's quite exciting. Diana, it, it's reading your story. It's, I got to tell you, it's so inspiring. Just how many hurdles you had to, you know, kind of overcome to do what you're doing now and how many people I think you are going to inspire and that have to have a completely new vision or idea of what's possible because of your work. And I don't think it's by chance that your Instagram, you know, the Arabian uh, Stargazer account blew up. I mean, when you say it blew up, it really did. It went from zero to 100,000 followers very, very quickly. And I would imagine it's not going to stop growing there. Um, there is there's a lot to talk about today. But I have to just right out of the gate tell you, I mean, this is this is one of the most exciting podcasts I think we've done because it touches on a lot of subjects that we constantly harp on, uh, especially women in science. But you are bringing up another thing, which is how, you know, even language can be a barrier for many parts of the world um, in, in all of your work. And that's something I'd never even really considered. I just assumed that problem had been fixed. But reading your uh, your stuff here, I guess it, it hasn't. You want to go into that? Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, it really humbles me and makes me even want to do this every day, um, even more and help more people. I started the Arabian Stargazer because I wanted to, the, the end result was to create science camps and space camps in the Middle East. Um, what really got me into this aerospace industry um, and just get five internships before my full-time job is the technical projects that I did in my university. So I said, all right, if we want to develop space exploration in the Middle East, we got to have our students train first um, so they can, the, these, these companies can go to, to Iraq or to Syria or to, to these countries and invest in these students because they're already trained like Europeans or Americans in the, in the American universities. So I started the Instagram page just to test out the water, just to see if people are even interested because building space camps across the world is risky and um, it, it can fail very easily. So I started the page because I saw a missing link and I wanted to see if people are interested and boom, a lot of people are interested. I get messages from people who are 10 years old who are not even allowed to have Instagram and writing me letters and messages on how exciting it is for them to see somebody that looks like them, that speaks like them, that has the same exact slang as them, who's talking about the stars and the planets and rockets and the, the beauty of space exploration. And, and quite frankly, uh, the I don't know if it's specific to Middle Easterns, but Middle Eastern parents and the culture that we have, um, we don't really care about space because we don't even have that major in schools and universities. So 
we we automatically think that there is no career there. And that might be true unless we prove that wrong, unless we bring in these companies, we bring in these chapters and put them in our curriculum for space and astronomy. So inclusivity is extremely important uh, in my eyes. If we say let's open space for everyone, Virgin Orbit's one of one of Virgin Orbit's values is space for everyone. Space for everyone in all languages. It should not be just for everyone living in the United States or in Russia or in Japan. It needs to be everyone in the world. And I think we can see change there for sure. Well, it is becoming a more uh, worldwide endeavor now, space exploration. I mean, you mentioned a few countries there that are already quite uh, heavy in exploration of space, but there's also India is coming online now with their own space program. Of course, China has been to the moon mm-hmm. and they're expanding theirs as well. But I think you said earlier, just just a few minutes ago, that there is not an, an area, there is not a space interest in, in, in the education system right now. And yet you're finding, you seem to be uncovering a latent interest in the, in just regular people, right? I mean, maybe it's not in the curriculum, but certainly the general population, the general public are interested. Is that what you're finding? That's definitely correct. However, the UAE, for example, um, just launched the first UAE astronaut to the ISS. That's right. Yep. And he's there that now. was, yes, he's there now. He's doing awesome. He's representing the, the entire Middle Eastern region. He was speaking Arabic. I think that was probably the first or the second time that we hear Arabic on the ISS. That just gives me chills down my spine. Imagine um, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, our children will, will feel like, yeah, I want to be an astronaut and I can be an astronaut if I want to, because I won't be the first one to do that. It's already, the path has already been engraved and we already have these processes and systems and agencies who care about these things. So I'm really proud um, that we are slowly, finally uh, being invested in space and caring and, and understanding the the importance for space exploration and how that will help us here on Earth. Yeah, I think it makes sense when you're talking about, you know, being inclusive and you mention everybody, that the word everybody does have implications. And one of those implications has to be crossing the language barrier. So it makes complete sense when you bring it up. It's just one of those points that's that's so obvious. I think we miss it. You know, it's right in front of us, and I, I think it can be missed. But, um, you know, I'm glad that you're you're striving to do something about that. I still yeah. see a, a larger hurdle, though, and you'll have to forgive me if, if this is um, not true, but it seems to me that, you know, in the Middle East, you've got the hurdle culturally that STEM, and especially STEM for women, is certainly not a priority. How, how do you overcome that? I mean, it's even, you know, there's a resistance to it. So how... If that's the case, how do you overcome that? Believe it or not, I don't think that was a problem from the beginning of time. I think that happens after the things that the specific country sees, all of the challenges and the wars and and, and the, the dark times that the country sees, people become more protective. And I understand that. When I was living in the Middle East, I... I behaved differently. I was thinking differently. I didn't even know or understand or even thought about the idea of being an engineer, let alone a rocket scientist. So it is um, the environment that these people live in definitely affect how um, how they treat their children. But 
through the Arabian Stargazer, through um, the, the UAE astronaut, through these engineers and scientists that are also Arabs who speak the language, we will showcase that being a scientist is actually a beautiful thing. Be, being a woman and also a scientist is exactly the same as being a male who's also a scientist. And um, we have all these campaigns of STEM and science and, uh, sorry, girls in, in STEM. That is, it, it might seem cheesy and not needed to a lot of people, but it's very needed when there's a nine-year-old who wants to be an engineer. Maybe her parents are not are not encouraging her, but they see in the TV that there's three astronauts on the ISS, or they see women, an entire team of women and and male are inside of a lab doing experiments. Being an example, a role model can definitely help change these behaviors and patterns that we see in our culture. When you go back what kind of response are you getting from people? Um, it is mixed, for sure. Um, majority of it is positive. Majority of it of people are asking really cool scientific questions that I don't even know the answer to. I have to Google them and try to have these scientific discussions. But very small part is if you're back in your country, you'll probably not be what you are right now. And that really triggers something because if I think about myself, my my entire life is is driving this mission and and building this rocket and having this this value of education has changed my life if i do go back 10 years 11 years from now and strip all of these things out of me it makes me really wonder if if that's true will will i be who i am if i am living in a different country um my answer to that is I probably won't be the same exact person, but I will strive to make a change in the community that I'm in, in the school that I am in, because that's just the nature of, of myself. I'm very stubborn. I don't follow the rules. I um, have a very curious self. That's why I'm an engineer. Engineers and scientists are very curious creatures. And we. I do see those people back in the Middle East too. They're curious. They're applying to scholarships. They're applying to really, really far universities across the world, um, and they are following their dreams regardless of what the community is saying. Well, I have got to hear the story then, because <laughs> you said that when you you came you were, you came uh, to the uh, to the states ten years ago, was that what you said? Yes. Okay, so you were fifteen when you got yes. here. Yes. And you said you were not thinking about becoming an engineer. You did not nope. really think about space at all. Nope. What happened? What what's was there a spark? Was there was there an event, a, a, a meeting, something that happened once you were here? Tell us that story. How did you get there where you are now from from that point when you first arrived? You know, I wish I have the story of, oh, I knew I wanted to be an astronaut when I was five <laughs> years old, and, and yeah. I watched Star Trek and Star Wars, and I my dad was working on the Apollo mission. And <laughs> I, know, I, I, I wish I had that story. <laughs> I do not have that story. It makes me mad um, because my story might be a lot more boring and, uh, and predictable. Uh, when I came to the States, I didn't know any English. Um, we, uh, we, we kind of, you know all of a sudden got the visa to come to the States and we picked San Diego because San Diego is where some of the family lived. And we didn't even research if there's good universities there. I have not thought about college. My parents haven't thought about college, which is 
very different from how American parents are. They save up to college since you were born. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so I came and uh, we came with actually a group of people. Um, we didn't plan to come at the same time, but there was uh, Iraqis who immigrated in the same month as us. And the group of people were kind of the same age. And we all went to high school the same time. I spent uh, two years in high school only. And then I didn't really know what the hell I'm doing or how to speak proper English, let alone go to a university. So I applied to a community college and just to give me some time, buy me some time. And, and I knew that I'm interested in being an engineer based on process if elimination, if that makes sense. I knew I didn't want to be in the medicine field because there's a lot of memorization. I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer because that's a lot of, you know, talking to people. <laughs> um, I knew there's a lot of things that I didn't want to know I do, but I knew I love um, what science makes me feel. I had a biology class, uh, a chemistry class, and I did awesome in, in chemistry. Hence why I picked chemical engineering afterwards uh, for my major in university. And I, I did all the prerequisites of physics and math and science. And I did quite well. I struggled in, in, in college, but I still did better than average. And then one day I was really nervous because I really thought I wanted to be a computer engineering major. I knew I wanted to do coding. I had a blog teaching people how to do a visual basics coding uh, and programming. And then I took a Java class and I hated my Java class. Everybody and hates then, Java. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. I freaking hate Java. I was not good in programming. I'm a software engineer too. So yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. At least you became a, a software engineer. I gave up on that, on the entire major. And so one day I just, for an entire month, I sat down and I kept Googling best engineering majors, top paying engineering majors. Um, I, I didn't even have the idea of, of being a chemical engineer or an aerospace engineer. Then I came across uh, an article and I don't remember her name, but she was uh, a young female, an engineer scientist working with NASA on uh, a Mars rover. And she was testing out the rovers and there was a whole article written about her. And, and I was like, wow, this seems so exciting. So I started Googling jobs with NASA or jobs as an aerospace engineer and nothing came up. Not many jobs came up. So I said, okay. I really want to work in space. I really want to work with Mars rovers, but there doesn't seem like there's a lot of jobs in this industry. So I'm going to pick chemical engineering because it's um, versatile. I can work with food or, or cars or plane or skincare. I can do whatever I want. So I picked chemical engineering based on poor Googling skills. That's why I'm in this industry. It was, it was not an exciting story, just poor Googling skills. Well, that's that's a pretty good story, I think. I don't think there's <laughs> anything wrong with that. Uh, so, but and it also sounds like uh, you gave yourself some uh, experiences in other areas, like computer programming, uh, mm -hmm. to find out what you didn't like, which is something that I've always said young people need more of a chance to do. Right now, in, in this country, we ask young people to make huge decisions about yep. their lives at a time when they just don't have enough experience to do it. I mean, imagine you're 18 years old. Well, you know that you just went through it. And you've got to make decisions that are going to affect you forever. What what do you base that on? Just advice that you get from your parents. But no, the approach you took was really good. And it gave you a an opportunity to expand 
in case you didn't like one thing, you could do something else. You weren't pigeonholing yes. yourself. So exactly. I don't know. I think that's, that's something we, all of this is to say, I think we need to give young people more of an opportunity to find out what their passions are before we make them jump into a $50,000 a year degree that they have to pay for and, and not really sure they like it. So, yeah, yeah. I totally think having that three years in community college was golden years for me because it allowed me to uh, take extra courses, uh, talk to certain people who are in this industry. It just gave me time because jumping from high school, you're literally a kid. And um, if you want to be accepted to a good university, you have to be an, an excellent performer in high school. You have to be doing things outside of your classes and uh, proving yourself. And that doesn't happen if you don't know what you're passionate about. If you're not passionate about anything, how can you go and pick, you know, a robot club? You, you wouldn't know to join it if you're not interested. So allowing more technical projects into uh, community colleges or uh, outside school programs in high school is definitely important. And that was the idea of building space camps in the Middle East. It stemmed from the idea of, okay, maybe maybe our kids and our teenagers need to have this experience before going into the space industry or going to any industry so they know if they like it or not. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But what does, I mean, what does a space camp then entail? Like you obviously have a vision for this, right? You, like mm -hmm. you just said, it's become your life. So what is, once you have these built, what does that mean for these kids? What will they experience? Yeah. So when I was in uh, UC San Diego, I was part of SEDS, Students for Exploration and Development of Space. And I worked with those the, the team of students for three years. I uh, worked on 3D printed rocket engines. We flew the first 3D printed rocket engine built by students, by university students. I also worked on uh, a CubeSat competition with NASA. I built, a, uh, me and my team built a one pound thruster and a six, a six U CubeSat. We built everything from the propulsion um, tanks to, to the entire feed system, to the ele electrical components, to the antennas. And we won multiple ground tournaments with NASA competing against graduate students and private companies. That experience and the network that I that I made through that club, through that project was the reason why I got my internships, the reason why I got my, my job right now and, um, and the person who I am now. And I want to build a science camp or space camp like that in the Middle East, connect these students with, with professional uh, teachers, with people from the industry who have built CubeSats, for example, and built CubeSats in the camp and that will teach students how to work in teams that will teach them uh, basic engineering skills programming um, networking with other students within within the club uh, knowing how to even write emails to these industry professionals all of these basic things that to me seem secondhand right now um, it's stuff that I learned when I was in that club. So I want to kind of replicate that experience to Middle Eastern students. What is the climate like right now back home with respect to science education based on your experience there and what you want to do, what your goals are? Do you think these ideas would be well received there? And if so, how would it be a matter of integrating them into the a, a current curriculum? Because you said they don't really get much in the way of space science, but maybe they get something with physics or astronomy. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, would you try and work with what's there? Or what, just give us a sense of what the climate is like there now for science education. Yes. Um, I think the, the math and science classes and physics classes that we take are awesome. My dad is an engineer. Uh, I know a lot of people who are in this field that they studied that major. The problem is there aren't many jobs provided to those students. There's a lot of engineering students in Iraq or in other countries in the Middle Eastern region who have got the degree, but they don't go anywhere afterwards. I get messages of someone who says, I have a chemical engineering degree, but I'm working in the supermarket as a baker. I bake bread and I have an engineering degree. And that's heartbreaking. It's not acceptable. We need the government. We need uh, private company, private investors to invest in these students to develop the country. So the status, the status of, of the country of these students is more, more graduates than actual industry professionals working in that field. If I want to work with the, the curriculum that is already there, um, I don't think there is much of a curriculum that I can work with in, about space or, or science specifically. I'll have to design an entire curriculum, work with the universities, or just design a camp on in itself and uh, teach these students the skill sets that I want them to learn. Okay, so maybe I should clarify my terms a little bit. I guess when you said space camp, I was thinking something a little bit along the lines of maybe uh, what we would call high school or middle school age mm-hmm. uh, curricula. But I think you're talking about university yes. uh, grade. Okay. All right. So, so that curriculum sounds like it's very well entrenched and it's successful. People are getting mm-hmm. their degrees in all kinds of STEM fields. But what about the younger, the, the high school level education there? What's that like? And would this space camp idea go there or would you are you are you thinking primarily of the uh, university level that's a really good question um when i proposed the idea of of building space camps to certain people uh they thought i'm crazy because it is not uh realistic what i wanted to do is actually have middle school and high school students in the same camp and uh, my vision was to divide out we have one project and each project is divided into sections and every student gets to uh, understand and gets their hand on every section of that project. So, for example, we have uh, an advanced 6U rocket or it's not rocket, 6U CubeSat. That 6U CubeSat needs certain things built in it. These things need certain skill sets like programming, physics, CADing, uh, doing some computer analysis, um, thermal analysis. Every single student gets to do the same thing. Now, the age difference can be um, can be thought about through maybe more prerequisite classes that they can take um, that the the older the older high school kids didn't take. So, I really want a huge camp that has all grades um, because I think both of them could benefit. But maybe that could be unrealistic based on what kind of skill sets these students have. That sounds really amazing in the sense that I would like to see something like that here as well. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of there's a lot yeah. of uh, school districts that I know of who could benefit from a space camp as well. So it's not just uh, it's not just uh, in the Middle East as well. I mean, we I think there's a science education desert uh, in our own country mm-hmm. as well. So this is exciting yeah. to hear about. I agree. I mean, it seems like you were very focused even from the beginning of your time in school. And I can tell you that <laughs> that was not at all my experience. 
Not at all. <laughs> you know, I, my first year I lost my my scholarships and had a 1.0 GPA and I just learned a lot how to, you know, drink more than I was supposed to and, you know, get myself into trouble. <laughs> um, but I think that's a pretty common experience here, um, especially when you go to a university that's probably too big for where you are yeah. in life. Um, yeah. <laughs> but getting getting to that, I feel like it would be a very like a real challenge even to do what you're talking about here to roll that out into, you know, like I went to Auburn University. It's where I started school in 2004. And Tony, I mean, you you were in school, what, 1926, right? The Great Gatsby era. Well, I know the Civil War had just ended, actually. <laughs> okay. And All right, yeah. yeah, so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Haha, <laughs> very funny. So, <laughs> man, I got to sneak in some shit talk every <laughs> gotta single get podcast. Some old stuff in there. I got to find it. Yeah. yeah, Abraham Lincoln had just been shot. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along. Anyway, anyway, it would be a real challenge to do what you're talking about here. Like you just mentioned Tony and I feel like yeah. What you're what you're talking about, I bet you are met with a lot of people saying you know, this can't be done. This is too big of a feat. Mm -hmm. there, there's no way. I mean, we run into the same thing. We're just giving telescopes to high schools. And it's amazing to me how many people come up with reasons it can't be done instead of focusing on reasons to make the next one happen, right? Like if the goal is worth doing, you just focus on making the next step happen. And I don't doubt at all that, that it can be done. I think that you know, you have a lot of proof in the things you're doing now, including being here and talking to um, mm -hmm. our listeners and then being on Instagram. And, you know, you're getting a lot of attention and attention can move mountains, right? It really can. Yes. You're going to get yes. partners in this because your mission is worthy of partnering with. Exactly. And somebody got to do it. You know, if I start big and then if we need to get smaller, we just chop one objective at a time chop in a, a secondary objective, another objective, and just maybe do something realistic there. If you start small, people are just going to want to make it smaller. Mm -hmm. And taking that risk is so worth it. I think that could bring a peaceful community with each other because of these camps. It sounds crazy. It sounds like this is very political, but it is political. If, if a government does not want to cooperate with me, if the country doesn't want to work with me, this will not happen. So it is political, whether I like it or not. Right. Uh, there might be conflict of interest somewhere, especially space exploration. I'm going to give you one really crazy fact that you might not know. The word rocket is not in our dictionary in, in Arabic. The word rocket means missile in Arabic. So when I want to talk about rocketry and space exploration and just let's just talk about SpaceX Falcon Heavy, for example, I have to say X, Y, and Z is a, is a scientific experimental missile. I have to use the word missile in Arabic because we just don't know what a rocket is. We, we've never built a rocket. We never even needed to put it in our dictionary. So, yes, this is going to be risky. It is going to be huge, but someone has to do it. Well, it's and not it's, even in the vocabulary. That's that's yeah. Yep. I did not I did not know that. That's that's problematic yeah. nomenclature there. I can yeah, see. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But yeah. I think it speaks to the I mean, I'm glad you said that, the political hurdles, because to me that's the piece that seems huge is just like I, I know you'll have a lot of people that want something like this to happen, but I guess mm -hmm. I don't I don't understand the structure enough in the educational system there to know. But it seems like you're going to be met with resistance 
on, you know, not just the hurdles that come along with doing a massive project like this, but also that the people that are involved, there may be many of them that don't want it to happen. Are you seeing that at all? Yes. Um, I have not seen people who don't want it to happen um, I, because it's, it's only positive things. However, we need money to make this happen. Uh, I need permission to make this happen. I mean, there's a bunch of regulation that goes into, into, living, uh, into living in the United States, being an American citizen, and uh, trying to teach things that can be considered unallow- not allowed for me to, to teach to the Middle Easterns, even if it is for peaceful reasons, even if it is just tech, just technology, even if it is just CubeSats and satellites, these can this same technology can be used in an opposite direction, as we may know. So I need to literally understand the law and regulations right. behind this job and what it takes because I don't want to be sued. I don't want to go to jail. Um, I don't want to create more fuss than it should. Um, I just want to educate students the way I was educated here because I know that changed my life and I know it can change their life as well. I have no doubt that it'll change many lives if, if it can get done. And I think that if you keep pushing, obviously, you know, I, I believe it can get done. The thing that I just think would be so challenging is, you know, it just seems like you're going to upset the cultural status quo. Yeah. Um, and like you, you just said that if you went back yourself, that people are saying you, if you came back here and if you weren't in the United States, you probably would not continue doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, if the weight of it is really that heavy, is the, is the culture going to accept it in, you know, breaking the social norm? Is that not something that would just be rejected because it's just too heavy on everybody. Yeah. You know, that's that's what seems like and I, I guess you would probably get a lot of feedback through Instagram and the other things that can break down those locality barriers. But um do you think that that is possible to do quickly or is that something that has to happen over, you know, decades? Well, seeing how the progress happened on the Arabian Stargazer, mm-hmm. this maybe was my five, ten year plan. Right maybe 10 year plan. Now it's, it's in half. Um, this is going to be a lot quicker than I thought. Uh, there's a lot more attention on it. Um, it really depends on how you present it on. You have to be very specific about your mission and about your, um, your objectives. Even if I got to build these space camps and had these students be trained just like I did, then when they graduate from this camp and have all these certificates and all these skill sets, where are they going to go? It is probably going to cause more harm if they are trained and there is nowhere to go. They're going to have to go back to the grocery store, being a baker, doing all these things that are not related to their degree or their skill sets. So after building these space camps, in the same time, I have to think about which country and which company will actually hire these students and use their skill sets and, and, and make something out of, out of them. Um, because it is, it is very disappointing and it can be quite depressing if they have these skill sets and they're very excited to, to go apply it into the real world, right. but there's nowhere to apply it. Yeah, and that's the problem you could run into. I mean, we run into the problem here. You have to be very careful selling anything into the Middle East right now. Uh, at least, you know, our government mm-hmm. is very, very careful with that um, mm-hmm. for political reasons. And, and the problem with astronomy and then your realm as well is 
that a lot of this can be used for other purposes. I mean, even our stuff, you know, telescopes and mounts, you know, there are a lot of military applications. And so we have to be very, very careful where we sell things and everything has to be measured. And, and, um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge and it's one that comes with a great deal of risk. Yes. And where I come from, or just, um, I, I came, I lived in a war zone. There are things I couldn't pick up from the, from the school, from the ground, because they just look suspicious, even though it looked like a toy. I couldn't pick it up. Um, with When you're raised like this, and when you come from from all of these challenges and, and scenarios, you start not giving things the benefit of the doubt. You start taking every single risk. And um, being in this industry actually taught me building uh, test matrices and risk matrices of, okay, if X, Y, and Z happen, what system do we have in place so that doesn't happen? All right, if that system failed, what are some redundant systems you have built in into your um, into your vehicle for that risk to not happen? So I am trained to think of risk over and over and over so we don't fail because failing can cost a lot of things. It can cost even more than money. So I am thinking of this very carefully. I want to do it the right way. I am not just a, a 25-year-old who's a dreamer, who's passionate about education and want to go teach the world about, about space. I, it's very uh, critical that I think of all scenarios where this could go wrong. Right. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't care if you were just that. I'd still say, fuck it, do it. You should do it. <laughs> it needs to happen. Right. So I think it's, yeah. I think it's great, but you know, I do think there's an interesting thing here. I'd like to, I'd like to ask, which is in our own country here in the United States, we have um, some issues that we've brought women onto the podcast before to discuss what it's like going through a scientific education, because there can be pressure there as well. Um, for a woman going through, you know, any type of engineering or, you know, astronomy or whatever it is. And um, yes. we've heard multiple times that that was the case, that it seemed like it was harder, that um, things weren't really set up for a woman to succeed. And that there were there were multiple challenges to overcome that maybe the males didn't have to. Was that your experience or was it not at all like that? I, it's it does happen. There are there are instances where I feel that being a woman can be a hurdle and it can be a negative thing more than a positive. Um, however, I really do try to focus on excelling as an engineer. I don't think of my gender. I try to excel as an engineer who's working equally as hard. And then if I do see all this uh, sexism or discrimination that's happening, I speak up and I try to stop it. And I actually had a Badass Woman Tuesday on my page to showcase women scientists and engineers in the space industry. And a lot of people were um, were telling me that you don't need to do that. I mean, I'm a man and I don't have a job and, and I need to also see role models. And I agree, everybody do need to see role models. But I think for females specifically, we have had to fight to get to where we are for, you know, rights for voting or just even participating in, in building airplanes back in the 1960s. So there has been problems. There are still problems that I that I foresee at the workplace or even just talking to industry professionals. And you just have to be so good that they can't ignore you. Um, you have to be good at what you're doing, you, and you have to speak up for you and other people who might experience the same event. Um, staying silent maybe seems like it's okay for you personally, but if you stop that specific behavior, 
um, it can set an example for other women so they don't have to deal with it as well. I'd like to ask you a little bit about your Instagram page and your science communication stuff. We've, we've talked about the Arabian Stargazer account that you have on Instagram and how fast it's it's growing. How would you summarize your message? What what are you trying to say uh, beyond social media? What I'm trying to say is there I can be a living example of somebody who is trying to chase their dreams uh, in this in the space industry, and it can it can evolve a lot more than what it is. It can be um, how can I get mentorship? How can I be a good teacher to my students? How do I deal with self doubt as an engineer or a scientist? Uh, I I'm just a living a, a living example of how to deal with it and things that. Maybe I've did wrong and I like to present them in a way so people don't repeat the same mistakes or at least learn from my experience. When I look at your account, that's what that's that's exactly what I see as a person who's, you know, showing what it's like to do what you're doing and to to be out there uh, in the field. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing to see. And I can imagine also that you get a lot of people asking you questions. What's this like? What's that like? Mm -hmm. What's some of the advice that you find yourself giving quite a bit? Yes. Um, to, to be honest, I wish I could share more. Uh, I wish I can share the type of work that I'm doing. Maybe I can be some type of a, a blogger where I just like a day in, in um, a day in Diana's uh, life. And, and how can I just what what what's a engineer what does a rocket scientist do per day but i can't do that so i try to explain it as much as i can in a thousand characters each language and a lot of times i had to cut my post in half um my advice is always to um there's a lot of advice that i give but the main one is to not settle um there's a lot of people who just sit down behind their computers behind their phones and they say oh change is not happening like uh, the government is not hiring us. Uh, there's no jobs. I, I finished school and I'm still jobless. There's this ideology that change cannot happen um, if one person cares or two people care. And that is so wrong because we have seen from, from the world history that when one person believes in something and they work so hard on it, they attract the right people to help them make that thing happen. And um, I always preach about really being passionate and being persistent with the things that you care about, the things that you believe in, and continue to do so. Um, there's no such thing as impossible. Um, and I just think the, the type of – this might – make a lot of people upset but the the type of followers i have based on the environment that they live in are a little bit more pessimistic than optimistic and i'm trying to flip that around i'm trying to make people optimistic and positive and learn new things to not repeat history um, which can be a very difficult thing some people just refuse to learn right that's i don't care where you're from that's good advice period so yeah it's uh it's good for everybody well i mean i know that you you said that you're constrained a lot in your messaging by where you work and the type of work you do because it's a lot of it is in uh, sensitive technologies and things like that but yeah Come on, give us something. What's going on <laughs> at Virgin Orbit that's really cool that you can talk about? We're taking small satellites to space, and um, we want to make it affordable. We want to make it fast, and we want to make it easy um, for for a lot of people and a lot of companies. And I think that is really exciting because it means that we can see um, 
we can see this technology develop really fast. And the unique thing is we are launching from a 747 airplane, um, which means we can we can launch from anywhere in the world. We just latch our rocket into into the plane and just go fly around and um, and drop the rocket wherever we uh, we decided to to drop. So uh, the the things that I am working on, I'm, I work in systems. Uh, so there's a stage systems and there's the engines. I work on everything but the engines. And uh, stages contain our valves, our uh, avionics, um, our tanks, our instruments, all of these different things. And I wear a lot of hats. I'm a designer one day. I'm an uh, analyst one day. I work with integration in order to get all our designs into place. Um, sometimes I'm a responsible engineer for a cer- certain system and I run checkouts on it and make sure that it's tested per requirement uh, and design. And it's exciting to be able to do all of these things. One day for actually a test campaign, I was uh, a test operator. I was one of those people sitting behind uh, the, the rocket, sitting in a control room and, and saying, yes, we are good to go. And that was so cool uh, to be <laughs> able to work with people who who are so, so good at their jobs, who have years of experience. And I'm also sitting there being trusted part of the team. I get to do a lot of cool things. Well, hang on just a minute. Then. That that sounds uh, incredible because I, that does not sound like what it would be like, certainly not at NASA. You definitely have a job and yeah. you do that job. What's the culture there like at Virgin Orbit? Are you allowed? Does there, is it like you do whatever you need to be doing and <laughs> you just get it done? I mean... What's so it's not course? like you walk into a meeting and you're like, hey, let's do this. And then you you are allowed to do it. There's definitely qualifications, uh, but it's so much easier to do what you want to do and, and be part of these projects than other places. Um, at JPL, for example, when I was interning there, the I was given a job and I was kind of constrained to that specific job the way you have to log your hours you have to log your hours per like a certain project code with virgin orbit you can work there for you know 10 10 hours a day and you can work on five different projects at the same time um you're in a test in a in a control room uh running an entire op like a hazardous operation and another day you are sitting there designing tank covers and another day you are inspecting a tank and you're inside of a liquid oxygen tank. Like I go to work and there's a rocket right there and I can do whatever I want with it, obviously with, within limits, but I get to experience real hardware engineering. And I, I want more people to get into startups because it is that exciting and it makes you a better engineer really fast. I was with you, Tony. I, <laughs> I know uh, when you were saying that, Tony, I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking too. It's like, man, I want your job today. Let's flip a coin. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's flip today, a coin I'm for be it. The test engineer, my yeah. turn. My turn. Yeah. <laughs> my turn. I get to say that too. It's my turn. Come on. Yeah. Come on. You did it last time, dude. I mean, it's yes. my, yeah. I was in the locks tank all day yesterday. It's your turn. <laughs> come I mean, on, so man. We sometimes do say these things. It's like, come on. I did. I reviewed this thing. You know, two weeks ago. I don't want to look at the same. 128 slides PowerPoint. Let me do something else. So is it possible to be coding one day and turning a wrench another? Yes. Wow. That's And that happens in smaller companies. I mean, Virgin Orbit is five 
500 people right now. And uh, we are launching uh, this first rocket and a lot of things are unknown and a lot of people are trying to find these things. I mean, I'm by no means an awesome engineer or an experienced engineer, but I am running analysis that is needed on launch day. They're going to turn around and say, Diana, what is this value? We need this value right now to launch. And that's awesome that I get to apply these theories and, and physics that I learned in my <laughs> classes into my job. So we're going to we're going to edit that last part for you so that we can save your job for any you know <laughs> virgin people that listen to this. It's going to it's whenever we play it back, it's going to be like, I am an awesome engineer and I am. The I know best. I don't I, <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to sound like this. I actually have imposter syndrome like like no other every day. I go to work and I don't feel like I'm a, a, a high performer. I don't feel smart. I, I really don't feel smart around those people because they are just that good and you have to be um, that fast of a learner in order to uh, to shine in a company like this. Well, that's how I know you are good because you recognize, <laughs> you know, that, hey, you know, it's the ones that, that really do don't you know think that they can, you know, do everything themselves and they're the yeah. best that really are the, the problem. Do you get that, um, Tony, when you go do your talks, do you get imposter syndrome? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we all do. You I, guys I, are yeah. like excellent at this. Uh, <laughs> what at, at being an imposter? I know I am. <laughs> I am no, no, no. such a good imposter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you meant. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, well, so I, I need to ask you a question on a, another professional question here because I yes. have been talking with some people from NASA. I was just at the Von Braun Symposium a couple of weeks ago. And mm -hmm. the big thing there, uh, because you're a propulsion engineer and I know that you're a chemical, you work on chemical stuff. But one, two things I learned from that that were really quite stunning. One is that technology with, with chemical rockets is pretty much the where it where it was back in the 60s and mm -hmm. uh, the, that was the general sense i got from that meeting um do, first of all do you agree with that statement as things are things pretty much the same Are rocket engine would a 1960s nasa engineer look at a rocket now and go yeah that's pretty much what we had i mean to be honest yes uh yeah. we we use liquid propulsion propellants we use liquid propellants right now um a lot of these propellants are not oh yeah let's just use this propellant because you know we want to see how it performs we very much definitely know these are high performance uh, propellants and it's going to give us the right isp and the right thrust that we need for our mission based on all of these experiments and all of these launches that we had back in the day. And sometimes when a propellant is really good, you don't need to change it. Um, so we have uh, solid boosters. We have, you know, SpaceX is working on liquid oxygen and methane. Um, but our rocket is uh, liquid oxygen and RP-1. And that has been tested before. Um, it has been in previous rockets in the 1960s, and it works. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think was is... Um kind of where the, the the development is in rocket technology seems to be in the propellants and the ratios and things like that seems to be where the cutting edge technology is. But let me ask you this. Another thing that came along was this idea, and you probably won't like this because you're into chemical, you're a chemical engineer, but what do you think of uh, nuclear thermal propulsion? This is the idea, for those of you who don't know what it is, is a uh, using uranium fission reactions to uh, heat up uh, and 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 fire hydrogen gas, which is supposed to be 
more efficient. It doesn't involve oxygen. This is a propulsion that can only be used in space, so it's not going to be used to get us off the Earth. Do you, first of all, have you have much? Have you heard much about that? And what do you think of it? If you have, I have not really thought about it. I know that JPL actually had this nuclear thermal propulsion energy that they want to develop for deep space exploration. And, and maybe that is something that we're going to be doing later on uh, to explore missions into Mars, because with our current technology, our rockets are not going to be able to take us, you know, in one direct trip to Mars. We're going to have to stop on the moon and refuel and then go back, go to Mars. So maybe um, this, this uh, NTP technology can help us do a straight shot to, to Mars. Great. Yeah. And uh, I guess I'm I'm intrigued by it. I only recently learned about it myself. And so it seems to be a next generation propulsion yeah. system. But again, it was first thought of in the 1960s by who? Werner von Braun. So, you know, yeah. this is old stuff that is it's just never been developed before. And what do you think is the attitude now going forward uh, uh, about uh, space exploration and getting to the moon and Mars in uh, in, in uh, Virgin orbit. What do you guys think about all of this stuff? I feel personally that we are seeing a new era of of um, the shit. I forgot what it's called. Oh, space race. All right, I'm gonna say this again so you cut it. <laughs> we're gonna, we're <laughs> gonna leave both Go and make it sound. Even I'm leaving better. that in. I like. Oh shit. Well, she, she's like. Oh shit. We're gonna man. cut the second one. <laughs> Yep. This, <laughs> I, I this. can't remember his yeah. face race. <laughs> well, I think that we're seeing space race again. Um, there's countries all around the world, including the Middle East, who's trying to get to, to Mars first. And I get these questions all the time. We've been to the moon before. Why haven't we been again? Has has the moon landing been a lie? And some I, I've wrote, wrote multiple posts about this on Yes, we have been to the moon, but we want to do it more efficiently because it was more expensive, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I think that the attitude is at Virgin Orbit is different than that. We're not trying to go to Mars. Um, the mission is to take small satellites into space, and we are not part of the, that space race. But there is another space race. Um, maybe I'm using this term incorrectly, but there is another... Uh, really high in demand industry on of taking small satellites to space, and I think Virgin Orbit can be a real driver in this industry. Yeah, that's true. In fact, uh, the CubeSats are really the, that whole package idea yeah. has really been uh, innovative in in a great many yeah. ways. So, okay, yes. Cool. Exactly. Do you find that Virgin Orbit, just as a company, is worried about uh, you know the competition you guys have? Uh, Elon doing his thing at SpaceX and then Blue Origin and then you've got Mad Mike Hughes um, doing his <laughs> Yeah, he's a threat. You got, yeah. Yeah. Have you heard about Mad Mike Hughes? Oh, he's gonna uh, I have not. He is going to eclipse man. all you guys. I don't care which which company it is. It, Mad Mike Hughes is the guy to watch. <laughs> oh my god, I he's need to got, Google that. Hey, Diana, come on. He's got steam. Okay. Yeah. So oh my God. I was wondering if you guys forgot about that when you were saying there's been no technological advances since the 60s. <laughs> of course. I was like, this Mad son of Hughes. a bitch is using steam engines. Yeah, what are you man. talking about? Yeah. Nobody yeah. knew no, you he's... could launch a locomotive into space until Mad Mike came back. <laughs> uh, <a> locomotive. <laughs> <laughs> 
talk about Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Okay, well, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a real so, yeah, thing. Matt, yeah, it's a real thing. He's a flat earther who uh, is going to prove that <laughs> the earth is flat by oh launching a steam-powered rocket and himself in it, uh, thankfully, uh, hundreds of feet Uh-oh. into the air that... Um, that so he's bitch. done once, which crashed, but he's been doing another one, and we keep hearing that oh, he's getting ready, he's getting ready. In fact, Wait, Dustin so and I were looking d- up, going, "Did he ever launch that thing?" Yeah, and no, he still hasn't launched. So how do how do you write his name? Is it M A D Mike? Yeah, M- and then M-I-K-E. yeah, so, well, it's Mike Hughes, but he goes by yeah. Mad Mike Hughes, and and uh, he's got a Facebook page. Yeah, and, and I was I was talking to oh him on the God. phone, and and he's like, "So, Dustin, like, are you excited about my launch?" I'm like. Man, you're launching the steam engine miles from my observatory. Fuck no. I'm not excited about this. <laughs> you hit my stuff, man. I ain't coming after you. No. <laughs> if you launch that trash into my observatory, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be upset. Oh, my God. I can't believe you brought him up, man. That's funny as hell. Well, I mean, we're talking about competition in the marketplace. <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about innovation and, and, and technology I advancement. I thought it was the run. natural course of things. You're right, man. We, we, how, no, no conversation without about rockets is complete. Yeah, I bet though. Money. At least he's entertaining himself. You know, yeah. he's entertaining me. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just have this vision of like you know Elon and then all the brass at all these companies sitting around and they're just like, what are we going to do about this guy? You know, how are we going to yeah, compete? But they're, they're shaking in their boots for sure. Yeah. Oh, anyway, sorry. I derailed that, but uh, I just didn't know if you guys were thinking about that as, um, you know, competition or as just technology you might want to utilize. Yeah. NTP move over, man. We got steam. Exactly. Yeah. NTP. Yeah. yeah. Who, who needs that when you got steam? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, that went on a tangent. (laughs) Yes. Well, let me just uh, close out with a quick question on what's next for you. What What are you excited about? What's coming up for you? And let's also tell people how we can follow you and 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 you know get in touch with you. Yes. Um, what's next for me? Uh, continue working at Virgin Orbit as a propulsion engineer and um, continue trying to connect with more and more people through uh, through this platform. It has brought a lot of attention from celebrities and um, government officials, and I wish it continue going into that direction. And maybe the next time we talk, I have a contract to build my first space camp. So if you want to uh, follow the news and see what's going on, just follow me on the Arabian Stargazer on Instagram. Awesome. Well, I guess on that note, I'll go ahead and close out this podcast. I just want to take a quick moment and dedicate this podcast to Mad Mike Hughes. Uh, wherever you are, this this is dedicated to him out there in uh, the middle of the desert. Oh my god! <laughs> Steam powered, whatever it is, Diana. I, I learned something today. <laughs> yeah, I think we all did. Uh, um, yeah, we all did. Hey, it's very, very impressive and very important work that you're doing, Diana. Thank you so much for being on um, on Space Junk Podcast. It's it's truly been a pleasure hearing hearing about your plans and. I have no doubt that you'll see it through and and make it happen. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tony and Dustin. This has been a pleasure. I am so excited uh, to to listen to this um, and and probably hate my voice on on the speaker. (laughs) So (laughs) um, I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. Yes, absolutely. You're welcome anytime. So we look forward to talking to you again.
Our guest today was Diana Alcindy. She is a Virgin Orbit propulsion engineer, and she is also, you can follow her on Instagram at the Arabian Stargazer. So definitely do that. And on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I'm Tony Darnell. Thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Space Jump is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com. <laughs>